now tapped in with the introspective father and son duo. Last name may be strange, but never strangers to the game. Adjust the listening devices and keep it live. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ay, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win, yeah. LABB, who we running with, yeah. Two, two, three, three, I'm on 10 again, yeah. State your name. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms. Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. Now, this is what we are faced with, and this is a reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. Hello, and welcome to another installment of No Strangers to the Game. In commemoration of Martin Luther King um, Day here in America, we're going to be doing an episode discussing Martin Luther King's legacy, um, some of the things he did, some of the things he necessarily didn't do, or, you know, just kind of an overview of his message and what, what he, what he, what purpose he served. And so, um, first off, I want to just, you know, give thanks as somebody who led the way for civil rights and did a lot of great things in the black community, you know, during his time and ultimately gave his life for it. Um, I just wanted to say thank you. And, you know, as we use this day to commemorate him, it should be just for that and not just another day off. Um, with that being said, I, I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, you've grown up since, you know, you were born two years after he passed away. So, I mean, obviously you never were in a world with Martin Luther King, I guess, but what has his impact meant to you, you know, as a person and growing up and now as an adult? Well, I mean, growing up, you know, that was the name you would hear in black history, growing up in an area where, um, we had a very small black population. That was just one of the few names that I knew when it came to black history, um, black cultural figures. So um, as I got older, when I went to college, really, and I began to study um, Pan-African studies, I began to learn more about him as well as others. And what I did find out about Martin Luther King, I was going through a, a stage in my life where I was a little, I wouldn't say radical, but rebellious, so to speak. And you know, it was just kind of more hardcore and aggressive. And I didn't really understand that his nonviolent stance was a very radical stance and it took a lot of courage. Um, I still, you know, have my thoughts whether or not I would be able to do that. And if that's something in this time that we should, that, that should be a strategy. But overall, I think um, his impact and the older I get and the more I learn about him, that he was a lot deeper and he did a lot more than just, you know, I have a dream. You know, he was um, a deep 
um, very well thoughtful, thought out person who had a strategy to really make a difference. And I think toward the end of his life uh, and some of the shifts he made, you know, from focusing just on civil rights um, to economic empowerment, you know, many think that that is what, you know, caused his death, assassination. So he's had a big impact and the older I get and the more I understand things, I really have bigger appreciation for him. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, like you said in the beginning, it's kind of the same for me, but a bit different in school, at least. As, when Black History came up, that was kind of the only name that was mentioned. You know, Martin Luther King, you may get sprinklings of other figures, but Martin Luther King was always the, I guess, most prominent Black figure that was mentioned in our history books and stuff like that. And obviously he's got the holiday. And so, you know, he was kind of the name most talked about in popular culture. Luckily, you know, growing up with you and mom in the house, I learned about many other, um, you know, civil rights or, you know, human rights activists that were black or people who, you know, just in, multiple prominent figures within, you know, black history from George Washington Carver to Malcolm X to Marcus Garvey, you know, the list can go on and on. So it was always kind of weird how, you know, I get all this information that was, you know, plentiful at home about black history. And then I go to school and I, I only get Martin Luther King and, you know, maybe a few other people. Um, but with that being said, I think his message is some is something as we talked about. I mean, it was so it was radical in how, you know, kind of I wouldn't say counterintuitive, but just how pleasant he was. Right. Or how pleasant the movement was. And I think that's something that everyone can get behind. That's why everyone nobody has a problem. So I mean, how how can you have a problem celebrating somebody so nonviolent? And you know what I mean? And that's part of what his movement, the purpose of his movements was. But for me, that's always been um, an interesting dynamic. Um, but yeah, definitely just an appreciation for what he was able to accomplish in his time. And I think the message he was able to drive home to everyone um, in our country, especially at that time. But I want to get more into that. Well, let me go. I think Mount Martin, his image was, I think it was softened a bit after because there are very few people who really appreciated and even liked Martin Luther King at the time. There were black ministers and people in the black community who, you know, basically thought he was a troublemaker. Mm. And then, as you know, those the government officials and others who um, were oppressive and didn't like the fact that he was standing up and, um, you know, encouraging our community to fight back. Um, there was very few people in his time that really liked and appreciated him because, I mean, how many people you know today was going to say, I'm going to walk across a bridge. I'm going to walk down the street knowing that they may stick dogs on me, have water hoses, get beat with, you know, billy clubs and all those other things, but still have the courage and the, you know, the audacity to say, we're going to do this. So I just, his message, I'm not sure his message, his image, I think was softened a bit, you know, after, you know, he passed away after he was assassinated and, you know, it was time where, okay, well, this guy's no longer around. We can make him the figure. I mean, I don't know if they want to make Malcolm, <laughs> you know, that focal point as well, because his message was a lot different, um, you know, when he was around. Well, let's talk about in terms of messages. I think everybody kind of, or most people can understand the difference between Malcolm and Martin's messages. I um, mean, I think they had the same goal, mm -hmm. but their messages and methods were different. But I want you to break down for me good, bad, or indifferent, how you feel, and what were some of Martin's methods that were different? 
You mean different from um, Malcolm? Well, just in general, from, I guess, people who were trying to make change at that time, how Martin went about it differently. Well, first, just to be able to stand and have the courage to speak up in the Deep South at yeah. that time that, you know, we, this is what we want and we're going to take a stand. We know you're going to come, you're going to be violent and you're going to do all type of things that are scary, threatening, and, but we're going to still stand. So that was different for that time. Um, there has been many times throughout history where, you know, events would occur, but to go on for an extended period of time with a sustainable movement that was focused on making sure that my people were treated right, fairly, and got what they needed. So when I say method, I meant like, I, I mean, he had the nonviolent approach. Everyone knows that. But I think the greater meaning or, or kind of what he was trying to get people to understand through that nonviolent approach was, you're right. These people are going to sick dogs on us. They're going to act completely, you know, brutal towards us, a nonviolent group just mm -hmm. trying to walk across a bridge or, but he did that. I think there was a greater message in that he was trying to show people that, or at least I, I wouldn't say gain sympathy, but at least show people that this is what our oppressor is like. This is what we're going through. This is how things are. Not that people didn't know, but to see it, you know, this was kind of an era as TVs were getting more popular to be able to see that with your own eyes. It, it made people, wake up to an ugly truth. It, it appeared that he understood how to use the media mm -hmm. and taking those injustices and that violence uh, that was demonstrated to show the world and to be able to have the rest of the world and even people in this country who were not black, but whites and others to be a little more sympathetic, to be able to look and see like, oh, wow, you know, that I may not have realized it to that degree and to that extent, you know, because they were in the South in the North and, and in the West, although racism was there, it wasn't so overt, it wasn't so, you know, in your face. So I think it allowed people to see that these things were happening and the, the brutal nature of it. Yeah. So you talked about, you mentioned it a little bit. Um, we've kind of discussed his nonviolent approach to getting us civil rights, but you mentioned it towards the end of his life and, you know, right before they were um, he was killed, his message changed slightly to talk about economic empowerment for our community. Give me more background on that and what your thoughts were on that kind of message change. Well, I think what he realized is that not only were people being mistreated from a standpoint of just civil rights, but there were the basic needs of having jobs, employment, and the resources just to take care of yourself. And I think he began to realize more that that's what empowerment is. You know, they can allow us to ride the buses. We can you know, going to the restaurants and eat next to them. But at the end of the day, we're still not empowered to the point of where we can control our destiny because we don't have the funds. We don't have the resources. And that's one of the things that he seemed to pick up on when he, um, you know, as he began to mature and began to expand his viewpoint of the world and what some of our issues were. Um, he, he promoted and he, um, you know, advocated for working with black businesses, you know, putting your money in black banks, putting your money with and spending money with our insurance companies and the black businesses that are in our community so that they can build the wealth and the resources necessary to, you know, empower us and, and provide for the community the things that we need.
Yeah. I read a, a quote or a, it was, I was reading something and I can't remember who said it, but they said separate, but equal isn't a bad idea as long as we're equal in power and, you know, economic power and resources, wealth, land, you know, all these things. They say we could have been separate and everybody would have been fine with that if we were truly equal in all those areas. But that obviously wasn't what was afforded to us. Um, you have, we, you brought up to me the poor people's campaign, which is something I've never heard of. And mm -hmm. I don't think was a very popular because he never was able to do it. Talk to me about what that was going to be if he was able to um, complete that. Yeah, shortly before he was assassinated, uh, 19, late, the latter part of 1967, 1968, they were preparing to do what they call the poor people's campaign. It wasn't just focused on black poor people, but you know, Hispanic poor people, Latino, Latino poor people, white poor people, you know, Native Americans, and basically all poor people in the country to bring them together and take this issue and concerns to the government, go to the Capitol in March. And they were going to set up basically a tent city that they were going to stay there until they basically got what they wanted, which was to, you know, um, improve uh, salaries, wages for um, employees to make sure that people had jobs and various things that will improve people's lives economically and then what was called an economic bill of rights and so unfortunately he was assassinated before the actual event took place so ralph abernathy and others you know continued with the vision and unfortunately it wasn't it didn't turn out the way they expected you know they expected more people and i think probably because of Martin Luther King not being around, yeah. it probably uh, discouraged a lot of other people who might have been engaged and involved and came through. But basically it was to bring all poor people together and say, look, our issue is not with one another. Our issue is that we are lacking and we have you know, concerns and issues that are not being addressed. And we need to go talk to the people, the legislators who can actually address these things for us. So I think, and that's just my opinion, that was that led to his demise, his, his assassination, because not it's one thing for you to work with black folks. It's another thing for you to be as charismatic and pull all people together, regardless of their background, their race and where they were from. You know, that's a scary thought that a country would be, you know, um, rallying around this one guy who the world knew was charismatic and had the resource, not the resource, necessarily the resource, but had the power to make those changes if allowed. Yeah, and I, and I wasn't around in 1968. I know you weren't either, but I just, when you talk about how things kind of didn't go as planned after his assassination, I just wonder what the mood of the country was, especially within our community is like, I mean, this guy was once again, a completely peaceful man and they killed him. So yeah. for me to want to go out and march and do things, is had to be a little bit of discouragement. When that was kind of, and it was it was bubbling before he was assassinated, the whole black power movement, which was termed the black power, black power by Stokely Carmichael, um, later named, uh, changed his name to Kwame Ture. But, you know, when Martin Luther King was assassinated, there was riots and burning, you know, cities were on fire, you know, from 1968 throughout this country. And so, that whole nonviolent thought process was just like, wait a minute, you know, this is a nonviolent person mm -hmm. and you kill him the way you did, you know, that may not be the strategy yeah. that, that, that helps us move forward, you know? And so that led to a lot of different changes 
in how we approach getting the things that we want. You know, through many of the organizations, the leaders, you know, begin to rethink that strategy of nonviolence. Let me ask you this, and this is kind of off the wall, but I know, so he passed away in 1968, the Black Power and the Black Panther movement started kind of around that time, but really started to be popularized in the early 70s, correct? Yeah, late 60s, early 70s, yeah. I want to know, say he wasn't assassinated and he was around to continue his work. Do you think he would have coexisted with the Black Panther Party and tried to work together? Or do you think he would have probably tried to stay a little separate just because of, you know, they obviously had a very different approach than he did? I think he was there. I mean, he. I think he would have done the same thing he did with Malcolm. We're still, and, and from what I understand, him and Malcolm had a relationship that was out of the public. They may not have agreed, and sometimes they, publicly they didn't agree, but I think they, like you said, they were focusing on how do I help my people, yeah. right? We have different strategies and ways of going about it, but the ultimate goal is to help them. You have a way that you want to be, hey, let's go off on our own. We don't need to be bothered. If people not want us here, you know, just leave us alone. Yeah. And Martin was more, you know what? We built this country. We were part of the foundation of it. So we need to get what's ours. We need to get we need to get a piece of the American dream. And so um, I think he would have probably did the same thing. I hoped that they would have been able to, even though they were working in separate, you know, in different um, ideas and uh, not ideas, but methodologies, that they would have a cordial relationship to be able to get things done. Because there was those who, you know, I'm not marching no more. I ain't, you know, if somebody put their hands on me, I'm, <laughs> I'm firing back. Yeah. And then you had those who were still, you know, in the nonviolent realm. So I think all those could have existed together and simultaneously and still been effective. Okay. Let me ask you another kind of off the wall question. Let's say in 1965, you were 25 years old. And obviously, you, let's say you were in the South. Do you think, and I feel like I know the answer to this question. Who do you think you would have taken more of a liking to and kind of adopted their methodology and their teachings more martin luther king or malcolm x i mean it's easy to step back now and say you know i would have took malcolm's but if i was in the south i would have probably if i was involved i would have probably rode with martin because it was a different environment in the south they can go pull you out of your house yeah. and do whatever they want and there was nothing that you or anyone could do about it Mal martin was, malcolm was in the north so it, you know, even though you had racism, you had police brutality and the things going on, it wasn't as uh, overt and just downright in your face as it was in the South. So the oppression in the North was more, uh, we're not going to give you jobs. You know, we're not going to allow you to have access to certain things. In the South, it was just, you know, when we tell you to do something, you just do it. Yeah. You know, are there going to be consequences? And it didn't matter, you know, if everyone knew that what they were doing was absolutely wrong because, you know, they had control of the police departments, the political uh, arena and everything in between. And, you know, they controlled that to the point where it was just something you dealt with. So if I was in the South, I probably would have been with Martin. If I was in the North, you know, I might've been, you know, more uh, inclined to, 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 to move with Malcolm, uh, excuse me. I want to get back to the Poor People's Campaign just for a quick second. I know as you talked about it and you said Poor People's Campaign, and it might be kind of nitpicking just that idea, like 
poor people's campaign it just didn't have a positive tone to me i know we talk about imagery a bit and just kind of putting forth the message that's always positive and about where we're going and not our circumstances currently do you think that name i mean like i said you it never really came to because of all of those you know things that transpired but do you think that name is kind of a greater indication of the mindset or kind of where they were at the time in terms in terms of not being able to look past the circumstances of you know this is where we're at and trying to look forward to where they could be yeah i think i mean i'm always a person who believes in positive imagery positive affirmations to say this is where I, this is what i want this is who i am um you know being a former athlete when we went played it was always not you know we're losers and we hope we're going to win and you know we're looking at our challenges we're looking at we're going to execute we're going to be victorious we're going to win and so those are the things that when i think about pursuing a goal and approaching and attacking a problem i'm looking at the victory not so much the challenge and although the challenge is there i'm more focused on the objective of winning and pursuing and getting what it is that we desire because to me that's more encouraging that's more motivational than a fight yeah. you know because when you think of it from a deficit and from a a mentality where I got to fight and I got to struggle. Those are terms that nobody really wants to deal with, right? Although we do, it's not things that I look at and be like, I'm, I'm interested in a struggle. Yeah. I'm interested in winning. I'm interested <laughs> in, you know, executing a plan and a strategy that's going to, you know, benefit me and give me the things that I want and desire. Yeah, I bring that up because I just think about different movements we had, you know, prior to and, you know, posthumously um, after his death and they all seem to not all but a lot of them seem to have more positive overtones you talk about black power i mean that seems to be really empowering to you know our community whereas poor people's campaign just kind of comes off and i get it i understand it but the the just the i guess word choice <laughs> yeah i'm big on words i'm yeah. big on you know how things are phrased and stated to me because i'm i respond differently to how things are said and how things are presented and, and the choice of those words, you know, because um, words have history, words have a real, real meaning. And, you know, sometimes I can get caught up in that terminology that will take me left when that should be going right. And so it's, I think we need to be precise in our words and, you know, speak those things that are not as though they are so that we speak it into existing, you know, poor people's campaign. I mean, it's like, that's like I'll say, we the, we the losers football team. You know, <laughs> yeah. we're going out here to play, but we're the losers football team. And so for me, the, the wording and the terminology is big. Yeah, and once again, that's nitpicking. It's very small yeah. detail, but it can have a, a greater impact. I want to ask you about, we talked, we both said it. Of all the historical black figures, you know, through history, Martin seems to be the one that's most celebrated worldwide by all cultures. Why is that? Because there are plenty of other historical black figures that have done things, even in that exact same time frame, civil rights. You had Malcolm X and you had other activists that were doing really good things. Why is he the one that's kind of, I guess, celebrated the most out of everyone? Because, I mean, it's, it's fairly disproportionate in terms of the recognition he gets, not that he doesn't deserve it but as opposed to those that were doing some of the same work. Yeah, I think what happened and I think they looked, 
those who made this decision, I don't know who that is, who they <laughs> are. <laughs> but I think from a commercial standpoint, I think when you have something that is challenging, something that forces you to look at yourself and, and challenges your, your views and, 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 and your sense of power, you want to be able to say, instead of me trying to fight this, because when I fight it, they watch what happened when they were assassinated. You know, cities exploded across the country. Yeah. So it's like, let's not fight it. Let's work with it. Let's co-opt it. Let's get in it. And let's partner so that we can create a narrative that fits and helps us to obtain our goals. So I think that Martin's image was, like I said, softened to present him to the world. Because when he was here, there was a lot of people who didn't like Martin. They didn't understand and they disagreed with sending people out to get beaten, Yeah, you know, um, you know, so to speak. So I think at the end of the day, his image was commercialized. And although he won the Nobel Peace Prize and he done a lot of great things, I think that was one of the things that you could say, like Muhammad Ali, same thing. Muhammad Ali is a world figure now that everybody loves. But when Muhammad Ali was in his prime, he was very brash. He said what he said and he didn't back down. He refused to go to the military. You know, he had to take three years off from his boxing career because he was banned. But many people, even in the black community, didn't like Muhammad Ali because he was different. And he spoke what he, you know, kind of like a LeVar ball. And I'm not comparing <laughs> LeVar to Muhammad. But, be, you know, LeVar says some stuff that you look at and it's like, come on, man. Yeah. Um, so I can imagine Muhammad in that time being a young 22 year old kid coming through saying the things that he said. And then when he converted to Islam and became a Muslim, you know, you had many people who looked at him and said, no, nah, this dude is not our guy. So I think over time, after they are no longer a threat, their images and their um, the things that they did could be celebrated and introduced to the world in a way that it was safe. Yeah, I mean, you always talk about hindsight 2020. And I think in a lot of cases, that's true. But what you mentioned, it sounds like you feel that Martin's isn't necessarily hindsight 2020. His image was somewhat, I guess, directed to where we would receive it a certain way. And, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not sure. But that's the what I got from what you just said. Yeah, because we started um, after his after his passing, they had a black studies program. So we began to learn about not only Martin, but other people who did things who were just as radical, who were just as passionate about the things that they did. And, you know, those were images that probably wouldn't go over as well when you're trying to say, okay, let's bring black history to the forefront. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, this is black history. And, and, and many people probably wouldn't have, and let me not say that, <laughs> I think it was just safer. I think his image was safer and not to say that he was soft because that's what he did was very courageous in the time that he did it and where he did it in the South. I would even say it was as if not more courageous than what the leaders in the North were doing because where he was doing that, I mean, it was, you know, it was yeah. brutal, I you know. Mean, so. We saw the results of that, Yeah, unfortunately. Um, just kind of the last thing I want to touch on, obviously, MLK is a celebrated figure and we celebrate his holiday and you know I think he's somebody we learn about in school and stuff like that but 
what is what is what should we be doing you know on, day, on a daily basis or or just as a community to pay homage to his legacy and what he was what he stood for well i think one having courage to stand up for any injustice to be have the courage to stand up when there's things that are not right to study and to think of a strategy to resolve those issues, not just I'm mad and I'm gonna just go off, but how do I how do I get the results I'm looking for? What are the strategies? What do I need to study? What do I need to know so that I can resolve this problem so that I can get the justice that I'm looking for? And so I think it takes all of us to sometimes standing up for a coworker or someone that you see that is being mistreated or abused to have the courage to say, no, nah, that's, that's, that's not acceptable. We're not going to allow that. Mm. And I think if we all did those type of things in however small a way it is, whether it be, you know, this kid at the school pick, sticking up for another kid or at, at the job or at universities or wherever, is making sure that people are being treated kindly and treated in a way that is just. I think those are the little things. Obviously, there's more grander things, but just on a personal level, just be courageous and stand for justice. I think one thing we can all do too is go back and actually listen to one of his speeches. I think we all kind of hear the snippets. And once again, those are hand selected by, you know, who knows who, but go back and actually listen to a full message, listen to a full speech, you know, some of his early stuff, some of his later stuff, and actually understand where he was coming from and what he, what message he was actually trying to get across. I think a lot of times there are hand selected snippets that are just kind of kumbaya, you know, we need to come together. But when he talks about his strategy or he talks about what we as a community need to be doing for you said economic power or, you know, political power, all of these things where he was actually laying out a plan and we don't hear too much about that. We can do our research now, go back and listen. And, you know, like you said, take, take that with you on a day, you know, on your day to day routine and whether you can, what you can apply, apply. Yeah. And one last thing I want to say and kind of jog my memory and why I think also that Martin was, you know, an iconic figure that was promoted or, or at least, you know, in this country is because most other movements after that were really based and designed off his movement the movement that he was a part of. And he had people that he worked with that helped with the strategies and helping to organize and put those uh, marches and things together. But that template was really used and is still being used today. When you think about Occupy Wall Street, that movement, yeah. you talk about what happened in Seattle, you know, six months ago when they basically went in and they set up a tent city down in there and they took over a portion of Seattle's downtown. That was part of the poor people's campaign. They basically, we're going to stay here. We're going to set up shop and chill. We get what we want. How effective, but you know, I can say, I don't know how effective that was and is, but it was something that they took from the movements that Martin had put together and the strategies that he was using to, you know, uh, get the results he was looking for. Yeah, I think, uh, we can all take away from Martin's legacy just on a daily basis. I mean, this was a, a gracious, kind man, at least from what we could see. Um, as a person, we could take what he stood for and apply that to our lives and also as a community and what he, I guess his goals were and what he saw for us as a community. 
we should strive to complete his mission. Um, so I think we've made great strides in certain ways and other ways we still have a long way to go. But, you know, as another MLK Day passes, want to make sure we commemorate his life, legacy, and um, try our best every day to, to live up to it. So we appreciate it tuning in for this episode and past episodes and hope you tune in for future ones. Peace. All right, that'll wrap up today's episode. Glad we could take a moment to put you up on game. We post a new podcast every Sunday morning. Now you know. Peace.